Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's coming up on the podcast for today. I'm dreaming of a lockdown green Christmas. Well, wait a second. What is Dr. Williams smoking to say something like that? Plus, we're going to take you to Brampton. What is happening in the north of Brampton? Why is the percent positivity so high? And a detailed look at the threat from China. Is China advancing because of the pandemic? All of that coming up. Let's get to it. I'm dreaming of a lockdown Christmas. Oh, yes. It's the most lockdown time of the year. Oh, there's so many ways to cut the Christmas cake, except for you're going to be doing it by yourself. Right now, here's my advice for you as you're looking forward to Christmas. This has been my experience as we moved into Thanksgiving. Remember when we moved into Thanksgiving and Justin Trudeau came out and said, we got a shot at Christmas? Well, right now, I'm telling you, we got a shot at Easter. Okay, so just put that in your pipe and smoke it, Bob Cratchit. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to scale down. You're going to have to. It's just, it, you're going to have to scale down your expectations and start thinking right now about the size of turkey you're going to want. Because I'm going to tell you what my experience was going into Thanksgiving was you can't find a small turkey. The t- small turkeys aren't anywhere. And then it was pointed out to me that actually a small turkey has a different name. It's called a chicken. But I'm dreaming of a solitary Christmas. Meanwhile, Dr. Williams, the guy who is in charge of all of this, in terms of our provincial response, he's the medical officer of health. You probably know by now who he is. He's the guy with the glasses and the mustache. I'm beginning to believe that if he takes off the glasses, the mustache comes with it, that the whole thing is just one piece. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that Dr. Williams is in charge of the medical response in this province. In terms of the public health response, what it is that we do, he advises the premier. And during his regular press conference, he has a couple a week. They're all mostly unintelligible. But yesterday he was asked about the upcoming season and Dr. Williams, he has a Christmas wish. If we all do what we're supposed to do and do it well and do it consistently and keep at that, we can get these numbers down as we did before and bring them down to levels so you move from the red to the orange, the yellow, and, and I would like to think everybody would be in green, especially before the time of Christmas. So um, <clears throat> it's there. It's not easy. It is a challenge. If we just all dream together, if we just close our eyes and we believe in the Christmas spirit, we can go from red to green. The colors of Christmas, they're right there for just dream, people. Believe it's up to us. It's all up to us. It's not up to the government. <laughs> Come, it's up to you. It's up to you. Do you believe? you got to believe in the Kris Kringle. And as soon as the good doctor says that, then you cue the chorus, the Greek chorus of medical experts in this province that are chomping at the bit to point out, you know what? I think maybe Dr. Williams is smoking some of the green himself. 
Dr. Warner, one of the harshest critics of the Ford government, Michael Guerin Hospital, head of critical care, tweeted out immediately, Dr. Williams is hoping all of Ontario will be green by Christmas. This is not even remotely a possibility, and I am gravely concerned that this is the perspective and the medical voice that Doug Ford is listening to. Huh. What is the threshold for a lockdown, you ask? You say to yourself, well, wait a second, I'm looking at the numbers here, and oh, look at that numbers today, 1249, 12 more deaths, only 26,000 tests. Look at this number, 29 more people in hospital, two more people in ICU, five more people on ventilators because of COVID-19. We are heading straight for the iceberg. I'm dreaming of a green grass. What? So just a second here. If our numbers are going up sharply, and we had the modeling information last week, which was absolutely terrifying, that talk about a nightmare before Christmas. So the question is to the doc, hey, what's the threshold for a lockdown anyway, doc? And the answer from the good doctor has been, you know, that's a good question. I'm going to get back to you. Right now I'm working on my letter to Santa. I want to play for you two segments from Doug Ford's press conference on Monday. Normally I don't play the questions from a reporter and the answers quite this long, but there are two pieces of audio that you absolutely must hear from Monday. This is about transparency, about what kind of advice is Dr. Williams getting and is it the correct advice? Is somehow in between the advice from public health and the local public health, remember those people are under non-disclosure agreements. They cannot talk to the media. They cannot say this is what we told the government to do. They can't say it. It's all quiet. Hush. Quiet. Or Santa won't come down the chimney. So we don't get to know. But here are some really strong, just absolutely boss questions here from Laura Stone from the Globe and Mail. There's a growing call for transparency over how your government makes decisions and who it listens to. The Toronto Board of Health today said it wants the government to release all the advice given to Dr. Williams and to your cabinet from the public health measures table and other tables. Uh, we've heard about public health staff having to sign NDAs to participate in this. So you've said you've been transparent. You said the public mm. will see everything you see. Yep. Are you prepared to make all of this advice public? And if not, why not? Yeah. Well, Laura, uh, I don't know of any other government across Canada that's been uh, more transparent. It's un unprecedented transparency. Uh, what I know, people find out, and they find out at 1 o'clock every single day when I'm out there. Doug Ford says, hey, I got the Doug show every day at one, so I'm transparent. That's transparency. Here I am, I am on the TV not answering your question. That's transparency. Let's get back to Laura Stone for the Globe and Mail from an uppercut here as she goes in with another absolutely gangster question. Premier, with all due respect, the public had no idea that Public Health Ontario had recommended thresholds four times lower than what your government initially proposed until it was revealed in the Toronto Star. So there's a missing piece here to do with accountability about who in your government yeah. recommended the 10% threshold in the red zone. 
Was it Dr. Williams? Was it you? Was it cabinet or was it both? And please don't say it's just some amorphous group of experts. Can you answer clearly who decided on the 10%? And now that the framework has been changed, do you admit that you were wrong? Well, again, Laura, um, it's not about being wrong or right. Uh, I'll tell you, Dr. Williams signed off uh, on on the the last uh, rollout that we had and and along with uh, lowering the thresholds. So on both items, a week before when we saw the numbers at 900 to 1,200, he signed off on it. And I'll I'll take responsibility for, for everything in this province as I have from day one. Hey, uh, Doc Williams, could you hold this bag for me, this bag of presents? Can you just hold this for me? I'm just thinking to myself, maybe it would be, maybe, you know, on that snowy winter night, Doug Ford said to Dr. Williams, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? So it's Doc Williams. He's the one. He is the guy. And we don't get to know what other Public health advice has been to Doc Williams. We don't get to know it. And here is the good doctor himself explaining why it is that that's the case. Generally in government due process, when I'm given information material advice to me, I give it to the minister and to the premier. That advice, because it's going towards a cabinet decision, has to be kept confidential at that time because the cabinet has to be um, know that they are dealing with it as it's given to them without uh, other materials on there, and they're going to make a decision on that. So that's just part of government due process. It's government due process. It's the due process that you aren't due to understand or be able to know what the information is. And listen, I, you know what, at the end of the day, I got time for that. I do. We can't have a situation where, you know, every public health says, well, I told them to do X and I told them to do Y and I told them to, you know, each and every one of them has their say. And then we, you know, Then we hear from the guy in charge. No, I understand that it has to be information that funnels to one singular representative. The problem is, (laughs) is that nobody has any confidence in that singular person anymore, except for Doug Ford. And maybe I go too far when I say no one, but I can tell you that the Greek chorus, all the experts that are talking that don't have NDAs are saying, I don't understand how it is even possible that Dr. Williams would come to these conclusions. And how is it possible that he would say out loud, well, if you do your part, maybe we can all get together for Christmas. You know, my son would like a car for Christmas. He's 12. Pretty much Dr. Williams and my son, identical. Keep on dreaming. A lot to talk about what's going on right here at home. For example, the Minister of Education just said in the last little while that it is a strong possibility, something that they're looking at to extend the Christmas break for kids uh, because they want to, quote-unquote, protect the games that we already have in the fight against COVID. No firm decision that is coming in the next couple of weeks. We'll keep our eye on that. But as we keep our eye on what's going on, hyper-locally, sometimes it is important to keep your eyes up and look out on the horizon for other threats, things that are on uh, the horizon that aren't so close to home. And for that, I think we need to turn our eye for a good look at 
China. 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 There are two schools of thought right now out there about China and the pandemic. One is that the pandemic has accelerated what was a trend pre-pandemic, which was a gain of China in terms of economic strength, and that the pandemic has now catapulted China past the United States to be the strongest economy in the world, and in the absence of leadership uh, from Donald Trump over the past four years, that China has solidified it itself as the leader in a large portion of the world. The other side of that, the flip side of the coin, is that, in fact, the pandemic has done great damage to China that it has hardened the opinions of the West on things like Huawei. For example, in the House of Commons today, the Conservatives tabled a motion saying that the Liberals need to make a decision on whether or not Huawei should be part of 5G. And in Europe, attitudes have hardened towards China out of the pandemic, not only because the country mishandled the pandemic in the early going, but also its moves since then, its actions against Australia, its trade actions against Australia, which has asked for an inquiry into how the pandemic got going. So which is it? To get a better sense of what's going on with China and with Canada's relationship to China, I am pleased to welcome to the program William Mitchell, who is a professor of strategic management at Rotman School of Management. Welcome, William. Thanks, Alan. Great to be here. Of those two scenarios that I outlined, which do you think is more accurate? Scenario one. China China's not stronger than the U.S. right now overall, but it's certainly catching up. Um, it's one of the top two global economies along, along with the U.S. Germany's number three. Um, China's growing actively, especially outside the traditional developed market. So we can look at it from the perspective of Canada or the U.S. or, or Western Europe. But China's growing massively in Southeast Asia, in Africa, throughout East Asia, um, throughout, throughout Latin America. And in many ways in the longer term, um, how we view it is going to be irrelevant because it's, it's rapidly growing across the world. Has the pandemic um, sped up the process of China's gain? Yes. I mean, we're, we slowed down. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with the problems at home, which we haven't dealt with very, home, very well. And when I say we, I basically mean North America, Canada, the U.S., much of Western Europe, not quite all, but much of it. Um, and so we've got, you know, we've been we've been slowed down badly. Um, China was very slow to deal with it at the beginning, but then did deal with it, and is now, you know, active. It, it is one of the growth economies in the world right now. There has been a lot of talk about the effectiveness of various forms of government in dealing with a crisis like COVID, and that you know, with a single party, single state. Um, like China has, it's more effective than a Western-based freedom model. That is certainly what China is trying to push around the world right now. How receptive is, you know, obviously not in Canada necessarily, but other parts of the world, how receptive will that message be in other parts of the world? It's not the only way of dealing with COVID. China dealt, dealt with it very centrally. Um, South Korea has dealt with it well. New Zealand has dealt with it well. Taiwan has had success. Singapore has had success. Multiple, there's multiple models of dealing with it effectively. Germany's had success. Um, and so the issue isn't so much our countries around the world looking at China and saying, we have to emulate your model for dealing with COVID. Instead, they're looking at China and saying, you're a growth economy. Um, you're providing goods. You're providing services. China now has trading partnerships with more countries around the world than the U.S. does. So in terms of trading partnerships, it's actually number one. Um, China is central to people's imports and their exports. 
But isn't the Western attitudes towards China, I know you said you discounted that, but the Canadian hardening of opinions, uh, not only because of the tension of the two Michaels, but uh, what Bob Ray had to say uh, about a potential genocide at the UN, um, does that not mean that China will be checked a little bit in its growth as Western democracies and the West harden attitudes towards the country? Bluntly, what's more important for the future of growth? Is it the Canadian market or is it the Indonesian market? Um, Is it the U.S. market or is it Malaysia, Taiwan, um, Cambodia, Thailand, um, India? Um, We're not an afterthought by any stretch of the imagination. But if you look at where the growth is, it's not here. Um, it's in it's in, in it's in Asia and in Africa um, and and, uh, and 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 some parts of of, uh, of Latin America. Can we talk about tech just real briefly? Um, there seems to be a growing rift in China between uh, the government itself and the tech giants, and it seems somewhat belatedly that China is moving to grapple with something that the United States has already begun to look at, which is dealing with tech giants like Facebook. And in China, it's Tencent and, and other uh, companies. Is Do you see a, a dangerous rift in Chinese leadership as you have these two classes of this class, this capitalist class that has uh, created these enormous tech giants in China and the communist leadership? That's the big tension. I mean, China is actually a pretty effective market economy, market-based economy. Um, and you have companies like JD.com and Alibaba and Tencent and Baidu and others, you know, ByteDance with TikTok, um, have grown massively, um, just as the tech giants have here in North America. And they have they have a lot of power. They have a lot of market power. They're incredibly important um, for Chinese consumer demand. You know, everything from retail sales to to messenger to 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 uh, to, to, to messaging. Um, and they they really they really are an important part of the Chinese economy right now. At the same time, they not only have market power, they have power. Um, they're big, they're strong, um, just as Google or Facebook are here, or Amazon is here. And the Chinese government, central government, has always been concerned about about strength, about counter strength. And so the the pressure they're putting it on right now, you could view this as trying to rein in monopoly market power, or you could try to view it as trying to rein in their potential political power. And it's probably a bit of both. Great conversation. It's it's absolutely fascinating, and it's something we absolutely must keep our eyes on. William Mitchell is a professor of strategic management at Rotman School of Management. Thank you so much for being on today. Thanks, Alan. What is going on in Brampton? What is happening in Peel? Specifically, though, what's going on in North Brampton? This is where I'm looking for you to help me out here. I'm looking for the Bramptonites out there, the Bramptonians, the Bramptoons. I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't. I haven't decided which it is. Maybe you can call them and let me know that. But why is it that coronavirus is spiking so much in North Brampton? Your call is coming right up, but... Peel as a whole is recording a percent positivity. By, by, by the way, percent positivity just is as simple as it sounds. What percent of the tests that you do come back positive? And right now, Peel is at 9.8%. That is a whopper. Keep in mind that 5% is the benchmark that the WHO has for you got to do something. And in other places, 3% and below is the percentage where they start saying, well, we're going to close schools. So Peel is at 
But this organization called ISIS, which is formerly known as the Institute for Clinical Evaluative Sciences, I don't know, what are they, like Prince? Uh, this is Jeff Kwong, uh, who did this look at the percent positivities in Peel and specifically looked at Brampton. We looked at the data at the level of what we call the FSA, basically the first three digits of your postal code. In Peel, there was one FSA where the percent positivity was 19%. So that's, you know, multiple times higher than the provincial average and, you know, double that of like Peel region overall. That We presented the data on the top 30 in Ontario and like everyone was above 9%. So there was a bunch in Toronto, Peel region, one in York region, one in Halton region. And the percent positivity for the Brampton neighborhood north of Queen Street, east and east of Airport Road, is almost 20%. Why? Well, I'm looking for your calls on that at 416-870-6400 from my Bramptonians, my Bramptonians. Camille Caramali is a global news reporter, is working on this story for me tonight, for for me, for us, <laughs> for us tonight on Global News, and he joins me on the line. Hi, Camille. I don't I don't know if you know, but you're working specifically directly for me now. No, we all work for you, Alan. I, I think uh, I think it's about time the viewers and the audience members know this. Uh, <laughs> it is Alan Carter who pulls all the puppet strings at Global News, and we just all dance for him. Isn't that right, Alan? I think it's about time everyone knows. Dance, reporter, dance! Yeah, ex- exactly, yes. Yes, sir, how high? How high? <laughs> All right, well, let's look at the, the, these numbers because they are absolutely shocking, especially for portions of Brampton. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to try to lay it out as, as much as I can. Uh, it's, uh, you know, usually tough on the radio platform because you don't have the maps or the graphs in front of you. So you're dealing with some heavy, uh, you know, numbers and stats here. But really what it is, is that if if you're a Bramptonian, I think that's the right term. I'm a North Yorker. I think that's what we call ourselves. So I believe the term is Bramptonian. If your postal code begins with L6P, that's in Northeast Brampton, well, then you have the highest uh, COVID-19 test positivity rate in the GTA, as you mentioned, at 19%. But then if you look at the top three of the four in this chart, all of them are in Brampton. So you said 9.8% in Peel. Well, uh, that is dwarfed by three of these regions in Brampton that, once again, uh, take up the top four. So number two is actually in Toronto. Um, if your postal code begins with M6L, it's 18.7 positive positivity percent but then third on the list is just south of northeast brampton uh l4t um postal code that's 16.9 percent and then another one in brampton l64 postal code your positivity rate is at 16.8 percent so way way higher double the uh, peel regions rates when it comes to that 19 percent that we're seeing in northeast um brampton there all right, well, I got the phone lines open at 416-870-6400 for your Bramptonian reaction to why this is, and I know what I'm going to hear. I am going to hear that this has a cultural aspect to it, and we are going to grab that bull by the horns in just a second, but in your reporting so far, Camille, what are you hearing as a potential reason for the percent positivity being so high in these areas? Well, that cultural aspect does fall into it. Uh, You know, me being South Asian myself, I feel like I can anecdotally also add to it. But, you know, generally, culturally, you know, a lot of 
us live uh, in tight-knit communities. Uh, you know, I know my first cousin, my second cousin. We have each other over. We have these, you know, we, we come from pretty big families. And so a lot of us uh, are just so used to culturally coming over whenever we want. The, the doors are unlocked. You know, your second cousin, your auntie, your uncle just w- strolls right on in. Uh, there is a study that's conducted, and I will interview somebody who's also South Asian, but looks at the cultural aspect of, uh, you know, this large South Asian pop- population in uh, Brampton and and how culturally there's a tendency to have a lot of the family members either hanging out or living in one home. But uh, what the ICES, uh, the charity, the not-for-profit that conducted the study is also saying is that, look, uh, the cultural aspect plays a role, but a lot of these people also work in the uh, in in the frontline sector, so a lot of them work at hospitals or care homes, and then because there's a large uh, number living all in one home, it's really easy to spread. So that's that's another element that they're looking at. Yeah, and I find that interesting with the uh, the head that did the study. Is it that that it is similar in other parts? Like if you look over at Scarborough, and maybe the numbers aren't quite as high, and it's a different cultural makeup in a different part of the city. But again, the similarity is lower income, a lot of apartments, a lot of families living in close quarters, having to take the TTC, working as a frontline worker in terms of either you know facing the public or actually in the healthcare sector. That those are the things that are similar here. Yeah, exactly that. And so, you know, more so than I guess we generally see in many other parts of the GTA, which is why they're saying that, look, this is probably why we're seeing uh, such a high spike here. Uh, So when it comes to answers, you know, uh, we tried to push ICES on it, uh, but really they were saying, look, we're just trying to find out why this is happening. When it comes to answers, uh, they're pointing the fingers at the politicians in terms of doing something about it. And and I guess we'll be hearing, hopefully, from Ford, as well as uh, we have uh, Mayor Patrick Brown lined up at 145 today for an interview. So uh, we'll we'll try to throw him some tough questions, and hopefully he'll have some answers in, in terms of how they can possibly mitigate this, try to bring these numbers down, because 19% Alan Carter is a large, large number. Indeed it is. Camille Karamali, you have pleased me. You have uh, fulfilled your job for today. You can continue to work as a reporter for Global News. Thank you Thank so much. You. And uh, another day, uh, another dollar. I, I, can't, I can't believe I made it. That's, uh, yeah, you've, ma- that's you've made it. I, don't, I, I made it. Thank you. Don't, don't get cocky. Don't get cocky. <laughs> it's Kamal Karamali, who is a global news reporter, and you can watch his story tonight uh, on the percent positivity in Brampton. And I open up the phone lines to you, 416-870-6400, especially for those in Brampton. I want to know firsthand, what do you see in your city? What do you think is behind the fact that the percent positivity is so high? And I guess the bigger question is, what are we going to do about it? Mark is on line one. Go ahead, Mark, and tread carefully here. Well, Camille stole all my thunder there, man, it, and so did you. I mean, the cultural differences are definitely a big part of it, but it's not just cultural. Like, the multifamily uh, dwellings is a big one that I think everybody in Brampton knows. Indian um, descent people often live in houses with more than one family. Um, oftentimes, like like you had mentioned there, you're so close with your aunts, uncles, cousins, um, you know, I come from growing up in Brampton, my best friends being Indian, being invited into that culture and that family. And, and you know, it's, it's just a matter of time. The funny thing about all this is this discussion's a couple weeks too late. I think that uh, you're going to start seeing those numbers 
fly up even further after all the Diwali celebrations um, come to light and we start seeing those numbers go up. But you know, did, I, you, did you see anything over the weekend? I'm just wondering what your experience was over Diwali over the weekend in, in your area. I definitely saw the fireworks. I saw the lights. Um, saw some gatherings in some parks. Um, oftentimes you see those gatherings in the parks during the day, you know, anyways, which is strange to me. Um, and, and I often wonder if there needs to be more communication from within the community, the leaders in the community, to, to really speak on this. Because in Brampton, there's a very big divide between English speaking and the, the you know, other cultures. They don't have to speak English. They don't pay attention to English media channels. So there needs to be, you know, a, a real effort to make sure that communication is there in their um, their own communities. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate that. That that is well said. And uh, an article in the uh, Toronto Star by a number of uh, South Asian doctors uh, this week has raised a lot of eyebrows. And in what it has said is pretty clearly, and these are from South Asian doctors who said that uh, just precisely that that there has to be better communication to the community in a way in a in a manner that can be not only just understood but appreciated. Because I don't think the It it certainly shows from the evidence, from the numbers, that it is not necessarily getting through. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I I obviously don't live in Brampton. I live in the beaches, but I live close to um, Little India, which is over on Coxwell, and of course the Wally on the weekend that I was heading through there. And what I saw concerned me too. Um, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I'll, I'll get to it. Like what I saw, for example, is I saw like groups of young couples, not young, I'd say couples in their 20s and 30s that were clearly not part of the same household. Now, I'm making a guess there. I, I'm making an assumption. But it was pretty clear that these were gatherings that, if not against the rules, probably against the recommendations. And before we all get all upset and say, well, pointing our fingers at, you know, the South Asians and Diwali, you just hold on to Christmas, folks. You just you just hold on to Christmas before you start pointing your fingers. We've got a, time for a couple more quick calls. Uh, Michelle is on line two. What do you think is behind all the community spread in Brampton, Michelle? Hi, um, I've heard anecdotes from people about international travel. And when you look at where the second wave started, Peel, Toronto and Ottawa, we all had major airports in common, and I just feel like um, with isolation, the border control can only do so much. You're relying on people to tell you the truth that they're isolating properly, where I've heard anecdotes from coworkers who knew people who had family travel here from other countries. They weren't isolating properly. So if you bring that into such like our low numbers at the beginning, and then all of a sudden you have these events where people have traveled internationally to attend. And to me, that's how super spreader events started, but no one's talking about it. So you, do you think that that is still an ongoing problem that we're still getting people coming back through the airport that are not self isolating or, or was that something that just happened in the spring? I feel like it happened in the like. Um, summer months when our numbers were lower and people were getting less cautious about it because, oh, the numbers are low, but then people are traveling and then attending events here in our country, but saying they can isolate, like, I don't, I never traveled, so I don't know, so I'm only basing it on um, what I've been told. So when you re-enter the country and you're supposed to supposedly prove that you can isolate safely, but then it's only based on the person's word that, yes, they have, and even contact tracing, it's based on the person's word. No, I haven't been in touch with anyone who's um, in close contact with anyone who's traveled. 
but what if they were and then they're not going to say because they don't want their family member fined for not isolating properly. All right. Thanks, Michelle. I'm out of time, but thank you. I appreciate your call very much. I, I will tell you that, you know, that we do know that there are checkups. There are some checkups, at least, happening on international travelers, but Michelle has a good point. Is anybody verifying that information? Is that perhaps what has spiked some of this percent positivity, especially in that part of the GTA? That is the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch the Alan Carter Show weekdays beginning at noon.